0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: A week before Boris Johnson resigned as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, he made a very provocative statement. He suggested that the best way to unite Europe was by recreating the Roman Empire. France's President Emmanuel Macron, he's also presented another coalition idea to the European Parliament called European Political Community. The catalyst for these political ideas is to create unity in face of the common threat of Russia. Well, whatever the rationale is, God is the one moving the hearts of kings in this direction. Proverbs 21.1 tells us that the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You see, the Bible talks about a global government being established prior to Christ's return. This new one world government that we envision happening is supposed to be a revised Roman empire from a biblical standpoint. That's why what Boris Johnson said is so amazing because he hit the nail on the head. Today we'll examine some important Bible passages that lay the groundwork for this upcoming revived Roman Empire. So I'm Debbie Blank, encouraging you to get pen and paper along with your Bible as we seek to know God's Word. And I'm
0: co-host Jackie
1: Sailors. I
0: wonder if the average person's perception of the Roman Empire goes much beyond dusty ancient history books or actors wearing gladiator sandals and gold-trimmed togas in some Hollywood movie. If that's the case, it could be hard to take Boris Johnson or Emmanuel Macron's suggestions seriously, that they would actually aspire to reabsorb their independent countries into a new, revived Roman Empire. And what is even more remarkable, a revived Roman Empire is exactly what many Bible students are watching for as a major and necessary development in the fulfillment of end times Bible prophecy.
1: We've talked about a one-world government numerous times on this show because it is one of the many prophecies that we're seeing preparing to be fulfilled right now. For the last hundred years, all of our or most of our presidents and world leaders have promoted the idea of a global government. We now have recent events like COVID and the Russian invasion to Ukraine, the projected economic crisis and famine, global warming, and so many other things that move us quickly in that direction. So Boris Johnson's vision of the revived Roman Empire in the 21st century is not unique. It would include a partnership with Turkey and the North African states, and even Israel, some of the Middle East, based on what he calls the Mary Nostrum, which is the Latin term for the Mediterranean Sea. Therefore, it would be all the nations surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, and then of course Europe moving more in a northward position. So his vision of nations matches that of the Roman Empire. None of this is new. We look back to World War I when we had cooperation among many of the Western powers in the world. And then after that, in 1920, the formation of the League of Nations, which was to bring peace to the world. Well, that didn't work too well, so in 1945 it was dissolved and the United Nations was formed, which encompasses 193 of what they say are 195 nations in the world. Its purpose is maintaining international peace and security, developing friendly relationships among nations, and promoting social progress. Has that worked? Not yet. So if those two didn't work, we need to look for something else that will promote a global unity among the nations. Well, the revived Roman Empire idea really didn't start with Boris Johnson. It goes back to 1957 when six nations in Europe signed the Treaty of Rome, which created a European economic community, the EEC. In 1993, the European Union was formed. It was designed to oversee the economic and political integration of all of the nations in Europe. So it's not surprising that in 2009, the EU formally absorbed the EEC into its own entity. Right now, there are 27 countries that form that northern half of the Roman Empire, the EEU. They have an $18 trillion gross domestic product in the European Union. Versus the United States, which has a $21 trillion GDP. That's pretty close. It shows the power that the European Union has. Well, then they formed NATO in 1949. NATO isn't just Europe, but it does encompass most of the European nations because it guarantees the freedom and security of its members through political and military means. In other words, it was developed to fight anybody who would encroach upon the European Union. They have 30 members, so that's a few more, including the United States, a few more than the European Union. So the world is becoming more and more full of bureaucracy of different groups like the European Union. You've got the United States and all of our alphabet soup of bureaucracy here. You've got other countries around the world who need help because they're third world countries or they're not as sophisticated as the European Union and the United States. So it's not surprising that what is soon becoming the most powerful entity in the world, which is the European Union, can become the revised Roman Empire. As you
0: read off those dates and those organizations, you can see that this is a movement that's never really gone away. It's just kind of creeping forward. And I remember when it was the European Common Market, people were counting The countries that were involved in the common market, when it was 10, they said, oh, this is it because of the 10 nations that we're going to talk about here in Bible prophecy. Then there were more that joined and then it was little rats. That's not it. So they were looking again. But that thinking has never really gone away because that process has never really gone away. And you see how they do have strength, economic strength and political strength, military strength comes in numbers. So they're gaining that But there are also concerns with that kind of military strength that kind of political strength gathering in a bigger and bigger bureaucracy as you say it would take liberty away from the individuals so it's the kind of thing that you can get into a tyrannical kind of a system this way as well and so that's also something that the bible predicts
1: if you look at a map of the old roman empire Comparing it to the European Union today, what you'll see is the European Union encompasses everything west to east that the Roman Empire did. Then, of course, you have the eastern side of the Mediterranean and the tip of the northern states of Africa. Right now, obviously, the African states and those Middle Eastern states are not part of the European Union, but the European Union encompasses Most of what the Roman Empire did right now. They just need to develop some relationships with these other Mediterranean Sea nations and they will have a potential revived Roman empire but will they have the power you see the Roman empire was the most powerful country ever on the face of the earth now since then the United States has grown in great power but we don't have world dominion as the Roman empire really did at that time so we're looking at a global government the control of the world from that particular area We want to look today at some biblical prophecies from the book of Daniel, some that you may not be familiar with, which lay out the importance of this being part of the revived Roman Empire. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. What that says in verse 24 is that 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. As you read through those, you think, well, certainly atonement has been made for iniquity. Jesus did that when he died on the cross, but we don't have everlasting righteousness. Prophecy and visions have not been sealed up and anointing the most holy place, which I believe is potentially the millennial kingdom hasn't occurred. So some of these things have happened and some haven't we have to go back and look that this was a prophecy that Gabriel gave to Daniel. And we see that it would require 70 weeks for all these things to take place. Well, 70 weeks isn't much time. I mean, that's just a little year and a quarter or so. But when you look at the Hebrew, 70 weeks, the word weeks is Shabuah. And what it means is 70 sevenths. So there will be 70 sevenths of something. It could be hours or days or weeks or months or years or whatever. But in this case, as you look at the prophecy, it's 70 sevens of years, 70 times seven years. So he's talking about a period of 490 years that are going to take place in order for all these things to happen. Verse 25 now says So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. It says that out of the 70 weeks, there's going to be two other periods, seven weeks and 62 weeks. Clearly, seven and 62 equals 69. And what's going to happen at the end of that? It says Messiah the Prince will be cut off. Daniel wrote this prophecy in 539 B.C. Clearly this was going to happen after he wrote the prophecy and is talking all the way up to Messiah, the prince. Who's Messiah, the prince? It's Jesus. So let's go in history, biblical history, to see when a decree was made to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. We find that in Nehemiah chapter two. In verse one, it says, it came about in the month Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So that sets the date right there as March 14th, 445 B.C. I don't know that. My Bible doesn't say that, but history does. Verse 5 goes on to say, Nehemiah said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definitive time. We have right there on March 14th, 445 BC, a decree by the king to go and rebuild Jerusalem. That's a definite timeline that we can move forward on to see and prove that these weeks that are mentioned are actually years.
0: What's so interesting, but everything about it is in the Bible to lead you to the historical date. So you can find that through history. Then there are proofs that have come through people who have studied this and taking all the time that it takes to go through the calendars and work this through, that they can prove exactly when all of this happened and when Messiah the
1: Prince presented himself. I'm going to let you go through it because it's really complicated. It is so complicated that I'm not going to walk through it all. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you that Sir Robert Anderson, who's a biblical scholar and head of Scotland Yard. Wrote this review of prophecy in 1895. So you can Google Sir Robert Anderson and read this detailed explanation of exactly 483 years that transpired from March 14, 445 BC, when the decree was made to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Jesus was cut off. The Messiah died. And he takes us right up to April 6, 32 AD, with exact timing fascinating for someone to do all of this work and have the timing come out to exactly what the Bible said it would. Getting back to Daniel nine twenty five, it says from the issue of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And we know from Nehemiah that that happened and there were times of distress as they were building it. Seven weeks and 62 weeks is 483 years. And that's exactly what it took until Jesus was cut off. Now going to Daniel nine twenty-six, it reads, then after the 62 weeks. So after the seven weeks and 62 weeks or after the 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Okay. We know that he was cut off. He died. He rose from the dead and obviously established the church and saved us from our sins and did all that he did in the gospel message goes on to say, and the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now this is key for our study today because it says after that 483 years, after the 69th week of Daniel, it says Jesus is going to die. The Messiah will be cut off and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. We know historically that the Roman Empire destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary in 70 AD. What we see here is a time sequence, but it's only talked about 69 weeks, but it doesn't tell us yet about the 70th week. What it does tell us is the people of the prince who is to come is going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. The Romans did that. That was the end of 69 weeks, but we don't have a 70th week yet. What we see is there's a prince who is to come. And this prince who is to come is going to be the Antichrist. What's fascinating about Bible prophecy and scripture is that you can go from Daniel 9, 26 to Daniel nine twenty-seven and skip thousands of years between those two verses. God does that in other places in scripture too. So he's finished now talking about Jesus being cut off He's talked about Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed. And then in Daniel 9:27 it says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate. Even a, until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. We can know historically The verse 27 has never happened. We've seen generals come and go from Israel and just try and destroy the city or take it over. But we've never seen a firm covenant made for how long? One One week. week. One week is seven years. When it says he will make a firm covenant, who's the last person that is talked about? It was the prince who is to come. He's going to be a future prince, a future leader. And where is he going to come from? The people who destroyed Israel. Jerusalem and that's where we get Rome that's right it was the Roman Empire which is very important we can go back in a bit to what that encompassed so here we have that the Antichrist is going to make a firm covenant in Hebrew that means an one of forced importance on Israel so Israel's not going to want to do it they're not going to like it but they're really going to be forced into this covenant and perhaps it's modern-day diplomacy like what we're seeing right now in Israel Well, Israel is almost being forced into a two-state solution. The Antichrist is going to make a firm covenant with the many, that's the Jews, for one week, that's seven years. But in the middle of the week, he's going to stop sacrifice and grain offering. In order for the Jews to have sacrifices and grain offerings, they must have a temple. They haven't had a temple since 70 AD. And then it's talking about the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, We know historically from other places in Daniel that this means that the leader, the prince, is going to erect a statue or do something to make himself God in the temple of the Jews. We also see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then a complete destruction is going to take place. Again, historically, we've never seen Daniel 9, 27, so it's yet future to happen. And it's going to be the 70th week of Daniel as we know it. For our discussion, the important thing is Daniel nine twenty six. the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and that's Rome. So let's go back now to Daniel chapter two to understand that statue. We've talked about it many times before, but it also helps us understand how this one world government is going to be a revived Roman empire. If you're familiar with the statue of Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he told his wise men, I want you to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. Well, nobody could do that. But of course, Daniel did because God gave him the ability to do it. So Daniel told the king what the dream was and what the interpretation is. So let me read Daniel two thirty-one to 35. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue, that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor and was standing in front of you. And its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Well, that's quite a dream that he had. So how does Daniel explain it? He explains it right afterwards by saying that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold in the statue. After him would come an inferior kingdom, which we know to be the Medes and Persians historically. After that will come a kingdom that would govern the whole earth. That was Greece. And then you have in the statue, the next world kingdom, which are the legs. We know again, historically, that's the Roman empire, legs of iron. But did you notice he also talked about feet of iron and clay. So you're talking there about an extension of the legs, which are feet. And again, it has iron. So it's partly strong like the Roman empire, but it's also going to be partly weak which the Roman Empire became partly weak. If you look again at a map, the Roman Empire was divided by Diocletian in 285 AD. And the reason he divided it was because it was too large for any one person to handle, they said. And so the eastern part of the Roman Empire uh, was made up primarily later on of Muslims. And those Muslims did not have the ability as the Romans did rule they were fierce in their fighting but as far as their ability to administer they didn't have the ability that rome did so you could see how the feet would be iron and clay the western european union strong and the eastern part not as strong
0: so when you have the two legs of iron there were two parts to the roman empire as you said the eastern and the western so that's so interesting that the statue has two legs they're both of iron they're both roman empire but they're divided
1: that's right. Now let's see what he goes on to say in Daniel two forty to 43. Then there will be a fourth kingdom. So he's now explaining what this fourth kingdom is. As strong as iron inasmuch much as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. That's the Roman Empire. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in its toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay they will combine with one another in the seed of men but they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery we know this is the final world kingdom because of the next couple of verses daniel 2:44 and 45 in the days of those kings the god of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left for another people It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw a statue was cut out of the mountain without hands, and then it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. That tells us, that this final kingdom, which wasn't Rome because Rome wasn't crushed by God, God did not set up his kingdom on earth after the Roman Empire. He will do that after this final global empire that comes out of the Roman Empire.
0: We've talked about Daniel 2, but there's also Daniel 7 and some really significant things that come from that as well.
1: Daniel 7 is another prophesying about what's going to happen in the end times. He mentions here the four world kingdoms that we see in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel 7, 4, he talks about a lion who had wings like an eagle, and that would be the Babylonian Empire. Verse 5, and behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth. Well, that's the Persian and the Median Empire that came together as one. In verse 6, you have the Grecian Empire. It says, after this, I kept looking and behold another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird and the beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. Well, the leopard is swift. When Alexander the Great conquered the world, he did it swiftly. I mean, he was dead by 33, so he had already conquered the world by then. It says it has four wings of a bird and four heads. When Alexander died, his kingdom was divided among his four generals. That's representative here. So it's very explicit as to what would happen in the future when this prophecy was given to Daniel in the middle of the 6th century B.C. In Daniel 7, he talks about a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And it had large iron teeth, Mm, matches up with Roman Empire. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. Oh, there you have the feet. Now the remainder with his feet, a couple thousand years in between, but we still see that correlation. And it was different from all the other beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. Well, these 10 horns match up with what we see in revelation in chapter 12, verse three, the Satan had the 10 horns in chapter 13, verse one, the antichrist had them. And then in chapter seventeen, twelve, the 10 horns are explained as 10 nations. So this is a unique explanation of the final kingdom. It goes on to explain all of this in Daniel seven twenty three to 27, when it says the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. This is talking not just about the Roman empire as the fourth beast of the statue that nebuchadnezzar had but this is the outgrowth of the fourth beast because it says in daniel seven twenty four, as for the ten horns out of this kingdom ten kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings well this we know because of the ten kings is the final kingdom and the one king that rises out of it is the antichrist he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. Biblically, when you say time, that's one year times is two years and half a times is half a year. That's three and a half years. So the Jews are going to be given into his hands for three and a half years. That matches up with the book of Revelation in what's going to happen as well as the time sequence. Verse 26 of Daniel 7 says, but the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. That's the Jews. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. That's Christ's kingdom here on earth. That makes it clear that this fourth beast in Daniel 7 is the final world kingdom because after that kingdom, Jesus will reign on earth. The timing is perfect. There's so many correlations between the fourth beast, the fourth beast, nations in the statue that Daniel 2 had and Rome and the final world kingdom. They're very similar. Does it mean simply that they're a world power? I don't believe so. I mean, believe it means the territory, the land, the people that encompass that area. They're going to make up the Roman empire. We've already seen how powerful the European union has become and will continue to be as NATO strengthens itself. Things are changing quickly. And we may see a revived Roman Empire in our lifetimes. Could happen tomorrow. Oh my, God has laid out the foundation for this final world empire in Scripture. And now we're seeing it come to pass. Mankind is bringing it to fruition just as God said, with, of course, God's sovereignty involved. Now we're going to see it come to fruition through diplomacy, cooperation, and maybe out of necessity. Because the chess pieces are all in place. This is just another of the many signs that Jesus is coming soon. So you have to ask yourself, are you ready? And I want you to remember as we close these words from Luke twenty-one twenty-eight: But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near.